Welcome to Main Street on Prairie Public. I'm Craig Blumenshine in studio with my co-host, Ashley Thornburg. Hello. Ashley, how are you? I'm well, enjoying one last nice warm day and then getting to fly out <laughs> tomorrow. Yeah, so it's going to get cold and snowy here, but it's not going to be that way where you're going. No, so. not quite. Costa Rica is not quite known for its cold and snow. <laughs> Jealous about that. But to today's show, Ashley, we have a packed show in the second half. We'll have information about the upcoming Republican Presidential Caucus. That's March 4th from 5 to 8 o'clock Central Time in 12 different locations across the state. But first, toys. Mm. Good old-fashioned hands-on toys. And now, for some kids, growing up without TV or video games would be a source of, you know, complaining. But not for Christian Stensley. He grew up in Mandan, and instead of those electronics... He had Legos. Not content with their design, he often created his own worlds. And now his own cinematic universe, which you can see at TwistedBricks.com. Substitute teacher by day, he's the creative force behind the Twisted Bricks universe, complete with a feature-length film on Amazon. Christian, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks so much for having me. Okay. It is such a bummer that this is radio. (laughs) (laughs) So for our poor audience here, uh, you have brought in a world (laughs) that is comprised uh, of Legos. Paint us a little picture here of of what our audience (laughs) is missing out on, sadly. Yes, yes. So... um, you know, the great thing about stop motion animation is it's a visual medium, but it's also like a physical medium in a very mm-hmm. real way. So what I've got here on the table is a slice of the planet Hados, which is where part of the movie Grey Horizons takes place. It's this barren battlefield setting. Um, so on this kind of barren piece of rock here, I've got uh, the Unum Virus military forces, which are basically, you know, the super space marines that are the last kind of hope against this alien uh, hive-minded entity that take, that exists in this fictional universe. <laughs> um, so I've got a couple of uh, afflictors, which are these military kind of mech suits. I've got a piercer, which is something like a very large uh, piece of artillery that stands on four legs and shoots concentrated beams of psychic energy. <laughs> uh, and then I've got a... Um, a channeler who's standing on top of what looks like some kind of technological throne and she is a military psychic who protects the soldiers from uh, the from mental and psychic attacks by this alien species so it's a <laughs> quite an expansive uh, thing we've got here just right on the table <laughs> dude all of this came from your brain uh well you know we stand on the shoulders of giants in every aspect Mm -hmm. uh it it's it's uh constellated in my brain but it Mm -hmm. came from all you know all the sci-fi the monster movies that i've watched throughout my childhood and uh throughout my life um there's a lot of that that can be seen in the movie you know this is just my own uh combination of elements and my own story that i wanted to tell who have uh been some of your biggest influences i can Really, I mean, as far as this movie goes, and I guess in the stories I tell in general, um, like I mentioned, I have loved monster movies. So some of the big ones that really impacted me were, of course, the Alien franchise, Alien, Aliens, all of those. Um, Starship Troopers was a movie <laughs> I loved uh, when I first saw it. It just uh, kind of blew my mind, and, and it, ha- it had such a unique energy to it. But of course, my favorite movie of all, or horror movie of all time is The Thing by the John Carpenter version. Um, and 
Slag, which is the alien entity in this universe, is very much inspired by the creature, you know, the thing itself. Mm-hmm. It's this amorphous, shape-shifting thing that just consumes everything. Mm. Yeah, that's such the, the beauty of science fiction uh, that you actually, in a lot of ways, have a much better sense of what it means to be human. <laughs> <laughs> but by creating a, a fictional world uh, of people that and, and entities that don't actually exist. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think it means to be a human? <laughs> oh, that's a great question. And that is something, you know, uh, with gray horizons and... Uh, you know, when I think about, well, why did I make this story in particular? Why do I, why do I like creating and telling stories so much? And it very much is a way of um, exploring self-expression, but also just exploring ideas in general. You know, what do I think about the world, feel about the world and certain topics? And uh, in this movie, a big question is like, what is humanity? And it's, and it's explored in part in this movie, but uh, more so in the series, because in the Void War universe, the whole cinematic universe, um, humanity has rallied around this deity called Keo. And Keo is definitely not human. Um, he is a very powerful being, and uh, there's almost a religion around him. But, you know, some people are really not sold on him because, like, what's, what's in it for him or it? You know, it's, it's a, and it's, this topic isn't as much explored in the first film. Hmm. Um, but, of course, the entire point of the movie is to fight against this creature that threatens to um, corrupt humanity. You know, it's, it, in some ways it eats humans, but it's more accurate to say it corrupts them. It takes them, their mind, it twists it, distorts it, um, contorts their bodies into this amorphous gray mass of flesh that is all of one mind. In some ways, I compare Slag itself to just um, conformity, you know, slag is is pretty much a visual represent, representation of 100% conformity. And I think what it means to be human is to give in, not give in to conformity entirely. You mm. know, um, certainly there's. Did you like high school? <laughs> it was all right. <laughs> did you did you do you feel like you conformed to the rigid high school hierarchy? And maybe that's a very generational question. I do feel like people of your generation, the there's such a much different acceptance. Like when I was growing up, you mm-hmm. had to be a nerd or a jock. Mm-hmm. And like I wasn't either. <laughs> yeah. Well, we're unpacking some deep stuff here. Um, I it's Aren't funny. All filmmakers. <laughs> Fair enough, yeah. Um, you know, in high school <clears throat> I I feel I was lucky because in my family, uh, we really celebrated weirdness. Mm. Um, and I mean, we were unusual in all sorts of ways. You know, I grew up not. <laughs> I'm going to need some examples. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> we didn't uh, do too much with like television and video games. We didn't have much of that in the house. Um, we did Norwegian folk dancing performatively. Um, my mom is from Norway. It is this part of the country, you know, you'll find a bit of that. Um, but uh, we, um, we were really obsessed with bird watching. Uh, so we had these things that we really identified with uh, even in high school and it was kind of fun to be different. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet, I still recognize that there was this part of me that wanted so badly to be one of the cool kids, you know, to be part of that circle. Um, 
of people who seem to be at the top of the pyramid, you know? Um, so it is, I suppose, a conflicting internal force, uh, I would imagine, in most people, but I can definitely recognize it in my own adolescent self. Have you always been this articulate? <laughs> um, I don't think so. <laughs> I took speech in high school, so thank you, Mr. Pins. But <laughs> What does a phrase like one of the cool kids mean to you? Because um, you're the one with the movie on Amazon. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's weird because I feel like, you know, in high school there was this, you have almost an internal sense of who is cool and who isn't, even if the people who are viewed as quote-unquote cool aren't that well-liked. There's this weird, mm. and I, you know, I don't know what it exactly it is that determines it. Maybe it's um, athletics, uh, charm, charisma, um, or just the circle. It, it has an energy of its own. Um, but, you know, I use the term cool in a very superficial sense, and I, I don't think cool is, I think it's a very, in some ways, childlike measure of what to aspire to. And ultimately, I think there's nothing that trumps authenticity. So, and that's, I'm grateful to have lived in a family that really um, kind of strived for that. What does a word like authenticity mean to you? Hmm. I think we all have internal drives and intuitions about who we could be, what we could be, and what direction we should go. Um, it's a very strange thing to make a stop-motion Lego movie and to put invest as much time into it as I have. But there's something about it that just always, it just resonated with me in such a fun way. It was this form of play and discovery that felt very authentic to me. And it, mm. it wasn't obvious at first. It was something I had to kind of um, tug of war with and be, you know, do I want to keep doing this? Like, or should I get a real job? You know, which <laughs> I, I am employed, but uh, uh, there was a, there was an internal thing that had to happen. And I think all of us have things, you know, things we experienced in childhood, this instant connection, this love of something um, that really just ignited us. And I think a lot of us kind of let that go as we grow older in order to conform to all sorts of things, to society, to, you know, what people expect, what our parents expect. Um, but it's, a, it's, it's something that I think has to be revisited. What is the what is your intuition whispering to you, you know? We're visiting today with Christian Stensley. You can find out more about him at twistedbricks.com. We're visiting about making movies, stop-motion Lego films, and, and creating your own cinematic universe. You have a film on Amazon, The Void War, Gray Horizons. Now, you've touched a fair bit on your filmmaking process and, and you know, what your... Um, end goal is, but how do you describe the film and the cinematic universe? Mm. So the film takes place in the year 3044. It's this kind of distant future where humanity has been locked in this 1,000-year war against this alien entity called Slag. Um, and when the film opens up, uh, it starts with this soldier who's just, you know, he's a young man, and he ends up wounding himself in combat to get out of it because war against this alien race is just an absolute nightmare. It's terrifying. And so he ends up being reassigned to guard duty on an orbiting warship that's just right above the atmosphere on the planet. And it's there where he ends up working with a scientist who's rather self-absorbed 
and a channeler, a young apprentice channeler. It's like an apprentice psychic who's not fully sure of her abilities. She hasn't discovered what her unique ability is. And the three of them are guarding this artifact, which turns out to be a human who has been unearthed, literally unearthed, hmm. and discovered to be corrupted. And yet it's, it seems to retain its human personality. So it's infected by this alien race, but it seems to, it claims to be human. And so this leads to a whole bunch of ethical dilemmas between the three of them, because they all very much disagree on how to handle the situation. Um, and then that leads, eventually there's this catastrophe on the ship, and it becomes this fight or flight, or this, this fight for survival, uh, not only on the ship, but on the battlefield below. And they actually end up being very connected in, in their fates. Um, and one aspect of the film that I think is unique that viewers will see right away is there is this, in this future, uh, the military complex, this military force that defends humanity, uh, they rally around this this powerful deity called Keo, and we don't know much about him, but we can tell that religion and humanity have changed completely. They're unrecognizable from what they were, you know, when the war started. So there's a big mystery there that will be unveiled slowly. <laughs> Do you know the end of the mystery? Most of it. I would say I know 90% of it. Okay. There are still, I still leave room, and I still ruminate on like, well, how exactly should it unfold? And what is the fundamental truth? You know, when, when you create a universe like this, you almost have to come up with your own metaphysics for the universe. Like, what, what is the religious you know, truth? The <laughs> yeah, you know. Yeah. Uh, but that's a lot of where the fun is in the project. <laughs> and again, the movie is called The Void War Gray Horizons. It's available on Amazon, or you can find out more about it at twistedbricks.com. We're visiting with the filmmaker, Christian Stensley. How many films do you envision? Uh, so in my mind, it is a trilogy. I've just finished the final draft of the sequel, which will be called The Void War, The Hunger of Slag. And that will be a, it's going to be a much grander project um, in every in every aspect. Um, so we're still in the pre-production phases of that. Okay, but it's who's we? Oh, so it's, uh, <laughs> it's a lot of me, but it's also, we do have... <laughs> A lot of, you and Slag. <laughs> yeah, yeah, me and my, my minifigs. <laughs> um, no, there is, there is a wonderful team that works with me. You know, stop motion is weird because 90% of it is me in a small room moving little plastic pieces and taking pictures. But there are collaborative elements. Uh, my brother, for example, he composes the score, the music to the movies. Oh, wow. Um, I have some others who are, some other creators who are designing figures for the film. And so they'll be, you know, these the bricks in this movie, the minifigures, uh, the people, they are made using bricks from different Lego sets. Um, but I have somebody who's commissioned to like 3D print, you know, unique armor, unique pieces uh, to make it even more immersive, you know, more its own thing. Um, and of course, there's voice actors. I have some friends who help with the casting process. So there is a, there are a few of us. So <laughs> <laughs> the Twisted Bricks team, as I call it. Do you have anything resembling an accurate number for how long it takes to make a hour and 22 minute stop motion Lego movie distributed on Amazon? Yeah. <laughs> so from conception to publication, uh, Gray Horizons took two and a half years. Um, it's difficult to express how the distribution of time, because, you know, it's, it involves a lot of 
evenings and off hours spent animating um, and then entire weekend weekend days spent mm -hmm. animating um, or editing. Uh, you know, I have a day job as a substitute teacher, actually. So that allows me to do stuff like write and edit uh, in the classroom. So I'm able to kind of live two lives in a way. Um, but, you know, people ask me, well, like, how long does it take to animate a minute? Yeah. And it's uh, tremendously difficult to answer because, okay, if it's a minute of dialogue, for example, where I just have to animate them raising and lowering their hands and turning their heads, it's pretty quick work. But if I'm animating a scene with, like, like 10 figures who are moving around or shooting or in combat. Right, and you're using rack focus, and you must have those big macro lenses or yeah, something. I yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. You know, big DSLR camera with a longer lens, like right up against these plastic figures. And sometimes I try to involve camera movement as well. So you have the figures moving, maybe the set is moving, and the camera is moving. And you have to check for continuity. Is the motion smooth? Do you have to reshoot anything? So some of those, you know, a 10-second shot could take four hours, you know, if it's really complex. <laughs> I animate at 15 frames per second. So um, I've calculated that, again, this is very hard to estimate because there are some uh, uh, frames that are repeated, but I believe that in Grey Horizons, I took at least 60,000 individual pictures. <laughs> but I haven't, it's hard to crunch the numbers specifically. Rarely am I speechless in an interview, <laughs> Christian. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Talk a little bit about the, the technology and the tools that you have at your disposal. I mean, yeah. no offense, but you don't look like you came from a great deal of money. <laughs> no, <laughs> like, no, and the, the, this, you know, this whole movie is on a, a shoestring budget or even a fishing line budget. I mean, it's very, very <laughs> slim. Um, the stop-motion program I use is called Dragon Frame, uh, and that, that is not a free program. It costs, I think, maybe $200 or something. So, you know, it, it, it's a little bit of change, but um, you, it's not a subscription service. You have it forever. Very effective program. To edit my movies, I use two programs, HitFilm Express and DaVinci Resolve, um, and I've largely used free versions of those, and those are great for stuff like special effects, um, you know, a lot of laser guns and psychic powers used in this movie, <laughs> and the vast majority of that I do with those programs. Um, for the voice actors, I record on GarageBand, you know, come standard with That's, a Mac. Yeah. Um, I use Blender for the 3D animations, um, the computer-generated animations, and Blender is free. Uh, it's an incredible software. For the designing, the actual, you know, the production design, I design a lot of the uh, builds and sets and vehicles and such before I purchase the bricks. And I do that on a program called Mecha Bricks, M-E-C-A um, -E Bricks. And that allows you to digitally design using the entire library of Lego bricks. And then you can import those into Blender. So I could design it on this website and then animate it, render it on Blender. So I think that covers <laughs> the major programs wow. that I use. So there's an element here to, to being a digital native, that even someone who has the same sort of artistic mindset maybe isn't able to perform at this level. Is that fair to say, do you think? Maybe. You know, the weird thing about stop motion is I wear so many hats, you know, where in a gen generally in film productions, you have one or two jobs, you know. Um, but I, have to, I take on a whole lot of jobs. Um, a whole lot of, you know, uh, 
writer, editor, director, animator, production designer, you know, all that stuff. Um, and so having some digital and technological uh, know-how is incredibly useful. And it's also something that I really have to be intentional about um, learning. I, I did so much learning in the making of this film. Mm. Um, and I'm happy about it because it will just carry on. I want to keep doing this forever. So um, <laughs> those skills will build and snowball. So I have I have a big investment in them. Is your goal to be hired by the Lego company oh. or to, to be on your own? Or are you allowed to call these Legos? Um, yeah, they are. Okay. You know, I, they are what they are. They are Lego bricks. Uh, okay. And I'm not affiliated with Lego. It would sure be cool if one day that could happen. Um, the, you know... It's a very interesting time for stop motion animators who use Lego. I know I'm not the only one who is doing something like this. And there's another creator out there who has actually been in communication with Lego. And they've said, okay, you can go ahead and um, do your thing and make your uh, pitch for a TV series that would be animated with stop motion. So it seems to be kind of a time potentially of transition. So I'm very careful about um, I don't want to step on the toes of anyone. I'm no interested in getting in a legal dispute. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I do, you know, I animate with Lego bricks. And I, you know, the dream right now that I am enjoying pursuing is completing this trilogy. I have this idea for this three film series to expand this universe that excites me tremendously. I, I get just like, when I'm thinking about the way that things will unfold and the, the arcs that the characters will go on, it just, uh, it just, you know, gets me going. It, it, uh, it excites me so much. Um, and so that'll, you know, it could take a decade before that third film comes out. You know, it's a, just because we keep ramping up what we're trying to do. Um, so completing the trilogy is the primary goal. If I could somehow get, um, you know, if Lego was interested in making this a theme, for example, it beca if it became, like, very popular and Lego was like, hey, you know, the Void War is uh, it's a big thing. Yeah, maybe we should make it a theme. That would be cool. That's, <laughs> the, that, that's like, my pipe dream, you know? That's yeah. the castle in the sky where it's like, who? But I've stopped thinking about what is and isn't possible because, you know, when I was in high school, I never would have dreamed that I'd be premiering a feature-length Lego animated film in the Fargo Theater, you know? So... I'm trying to be open-minded about what's possible and just continuing to go in the direction that I feel called to. Christian Stensley of the Twisted Bricks universe. You can find out more at twistedbricks.com or you can watch The Void War Gray Horizons on Amazon. Uh, it's about $3 to rent and 10 bucks to buy. Thank you so much for your time today. It's been my pleasure. Thank you. And we'll share a clip now from The Void War Gray Horizons. <laughs> What if he is mostly human, and he could be healed? There's no cure for Slag. You know that. What is the last thing you can recall? I told you, I don't remember. Is that... safe? We're not alone in here. Everybody underestimates slang. You can't stop the spread. That's why Protocol SG exists. I swear to Fred, if they brought slag onto our ship... Um, we don't know, Lieutenant. You don't know? What? 
are you? Run. Still to come, the Republican Presidential Caucus. It's set for March 4th in North Dakota. We'll have all the details after this. Robert Harms is the North Dakota Republican Party Caucus Committee Chair, and he joins us now from our Bismarck studio. Mr. Harms, welcome to Main Street. Thanks to be here, Craig. Appreciate it. We're talking today Republican Party caucuses in North Dakota coming up on March 4th. Mr. Harms, there was a point in time when North Dakota had primaries, and it's had caucuses really for quite some time. Craig, as we were talking, I've been involved in North Dakota politics for about 40 years, and I don't remember when we had our last primary, but it's been decades, and the public should understand the difference between a primary and a caucus. A primary is usually an election that's managed by the state government. They set the rules by statute. A caucus is the same thing, but it's managed by a political party. The Democrat Party can have their caucus. The Republican Party has its caucus. Each party sets its own rules, its schedule. They're in charge of uh, executing uh, that event. Tell me why it's advantageous from the party's perspective to have a caucus instead of a primary election, which I think more states have. Well, to be honest, I don't know that there is um, a distinct advantage. Uh, I don't know the the history as to why we went away from a primary decades ago, but that's the model that we've been following for years. As you know, the state of Iowa had a had its caucus, uh, the one of the first in the country, and then uh, that was followed up by a primary election in New Hampshire. And so each state has its own preference, and North Dakota's been doing the uh, caucus model for, for decades, both the uh, Democrats and the and the Republicans have hosted caucuses for uh, for years and uh, but like I said they set the rules um, where and uh, how it takes place and who gets to participate and what it's uh, what's necessary to participate that's all set by state party rules. So there are I believe twelve locations around the state. Where can people find out how to vote? Best thing that the listener could do is go to the uh, Republican website, North Dakota State Republican Party website. It's ndgop.org. And there's a tab for the presidential caucus, knowing the uh, venue, communities, the sites within the communities. It lists the four candidates that are participating in the uh, event, gives you the time. And the other thing that it does is it uh, gives you a couple of ways to uh, get through the caucus so you can vote in a very quick, uh, efficient uh, manner. There's a, uh, a, a tab where you can print a free pass and can do that, or you can pay your party membership and print that email. But either of those documents will give you a quick entry into the uh, venue site. You can vote anywhere in North Dakota. If I live in Tioga and I want um, in Bismarck that day, I can vote in Bismarck. If you're from Fargo and you're in Valley City that day, you can vote in Valley City. That's uh, the basic structure, how to find that out. NDGOP.org uh, gives you the details and um, you can print paper passes to get you through the event quickly. And when you say I can vote anywhere in North Dakota, you mean one of the 12 sites regardless of where you live? Any one of the 12 sites that are hosting the event that evening. 
So tell me, Mr. Harms, I've never been to a caucus. We've always voted in primary elections. What should I expect at a caucus and how is it different? Well, a caucus, it's usually uh, amounts to a group of people who get together and they talk about politics. And that's the, the, the basic framework uh, that Republicans will come to the, one of those 12 sites around the state and they'll talk about the, the candidates. Uh, we've got it uh, set up where all four candidates have an opportunity to speak live to North Dakota Republicans that that evening between 5.30 and 6.45. So Craig and, and Robert might be in the Fargo venue and we talk about, well, I like Nikki Haley and you like Donald Trump. And we talk to one another guy, well, you should be taking a look at this Stuckenberg guy. And, and uh, so we visit. And that's part of the fun about politics is uh, where you can talk to your, your friends and neighbors, get to hear their points of view, their perspective of uh, candidates and policies. And, uh, you know, there's some socialization that takes place. Most of the venues will have food and uh, beverages as well. And so it should be a, a nice uh, social event, fun time in that regard. But we're also conducting some very important business for our country. Uh, we're expressing what North Dakota feels is its preference for who should be the Republican nominee for president. Mr. Harms, I'm guessing there may be some people listening who might think this. I would love to go cast my vote, but I'm intimidated. I don't want to go in a public forum to participate in this process. I think I should be able to go cast my vote and be done with it. I've done my research at home, et cetera. What would you tell those folks? Well, I would say uh, have at it. You know, that's um, that's certainly um, you can do that in this setting. If Craig wants to um, do just as you described, uh, go in. He's done his research. He knows he wants to vote for candidate two, and um, he can print his pass off the NDGOP.org website. He uh, gets his pass. He hands his pass off. He gets a paper ballot. He can vote in private, uh, puts the uh, paper ballot in a secured ballot box, and uh, he can go home. Um, it, it can take him all of uh, 10, 15 minutes, and uh, he can be back uh, for dinner at 6. And, you know, on the flip side, if, uh, if Harms wants to show up and spend the three hours there and watch the whole process and talk to his uh, friends, uh, he can do that as well. And uh, so both, uh, both extremes are available in uh, any one of those 12 sites. Do we have a feeling whether caucuses promote more participation or primary elections promote more participation across the country. Do we know? I would say that the caucus probably um, draws less people because I think they're less familiar with it. That's part of the reason we're having these uh, radio interviews. And, you know, I've probably had I don't know, six or eight different interviews about this process. That's part of the reason we're doing that, to help people understand that this is the process in North Dakota. We're seeing some chatter on Facebook even where a guy says, well, I'm going to not bother with the caucus. I'm going to the primary. I'm saying, no, <laughs> you won't have any opportunity to express your your vote for your preference for the Republican nominee on the primary because they are not on the primary ballot, you know. So, but I think you're right. I think the primary tends to draw more people to the ballot box because they're more familiar with it. They know it's in June. Um, caucus less familiar, so I think you end up with uh, uh, less turnout, and that's true. I mean, I think in the 2012 caucus we had about 11,000 people comparatively in a primary election in North Dakota. You'll have a hundred thousand is a pretty solid number for. Uh, voter turnout. Does that concern you? 
Well, it does a bit. I'm dealing with the hand that I've been dealt. And, um, you know, so what we're trying to do is help people understand the importance of what we're doing and that this is really the only opportunity that they're going to have to express their thoughts, uh, their views about who should be the nominee for president of this great country we live in. I think sometimes in caucuses, other party businesses conducted also. Is that the case here or are there, is it just simply a question of who should the Republican nominee be for president? That's the only party business that's going to be done is just who's going to be the nominee, the Republican nominee for president. That's the only thing that's in play. Now, having said that, we have asked uh, statewide elected officials to attend any of those 12 uh, venues and have got uh, elected officials going out to uh, different venues. There'll be a featured speaker in those events in addition to the four presidential candidates. And so that will take place. And then some food and beverage and socialization and voting. And that's that'll be it. Um, so it could be very quick in and out as um, the person that you and I were talking about earlier who wants to do it that way. Uh, somebody wants to stick around and, and enjoy some socialization with uh, some of their friends and neighbors and talk politics and listen to candidates. Um, they can do that too. Um, but it will be pretty limited. Those four presidential candidates will speak, and there should be one um, uh, designated elected state official that uh, will speak as well. I'm working that night. Oh. Shift at the <laughs> hospital, etc. Yeah. What should I do? How can I participate? Well, you, you've got to figure out a way to uh, get uh, to the caucus site. Um, we don't have early voting. We don't have uh, absentee uh, or electronic voting. It's uh, it's a ballot. Pa- it's a paper ballot on those 12 sites. We try to make it spread out around the state as best we could. We th- there will probably be a few pockets where the person's going to have to drive uh, 75 miles to vote. Um, we're hoping that they will do that because it's important as part of our process in our country country to elect our president. But if you're working full-time through that five to eight um, period, you may not have an opportunity to express your your views about that particular issue. There are two major Republican candidates remaining, of course, Nikki Haley and President Trump. Do you wish there were more at this point, personally? No, I don't. There are two other candidates as well that have qualified in North Dakota. So when you get to one of the caucus locations, you'll see a ballot, then it will have four names on it. Uh, Nikki Haley, Donald Trump, Ryan Binkley, who is a businessman, pastor from Florida, and David Stuckenberg, who is a uh, an officer in the Air National Guard and a businessman from Texas. And both of those individuals are lesser known, but uh, significant uh, resumes and, and worth taking a look at. As this process moves forward, there was a decision made to have North Dakota's caucus on this day. You're pleased that it's earlier rather than later. How did that decision come about? I am pleased. So March 4th is on the eve of what's called Super Tuesday. And Super Tuesday is the date in which 14 other states will vote behind us or after us. Uh, When I was chairman of the party, each chairman of the state party becomes a member of the Republican National Committee. And when I was there, I was frustrated that that North Dakota was so far down in the calendar that our vote really didn't matter at all by that excuse me, by that time, the race was really over. Um, so the state committee, uh, our RNC members uh, negotiated with the RNC itself and got us up into the calendar where, you know, we're, um, we're in the top four, five, six um, states in the contest. And so that's a significant um, spot for us to be. So imagine if David Stuckenberg comes out of North Dakota and he's got 35% of the vote, um, that's going to be national news. He could, he could turn the tables on, on the national race or 
somebody else comes out with, um, you know, all of the votes, um, that will be national news and it will influence, I think, uh, are likely to influence the uh, the voters in those 14 other states. We're in a really good position to have some influence on the national scene, depending upon how North Dakota voters uh, turn out and uh, who they vote for. How many delegates are at stake, and is it winner-take-all in North Dakota? We have 29 delegates in North Dakota, and we have a two-number rule. Um, by that, I mean you have to get a 20% minimum threshold in order to get any of the delegates at all. So you have to hit a 20% minimum, and then we have a 60% winner take all. So if one of the candidates hits 60%, they will get all 29 delegates for the Republican National Convention in July in in Milwaukee for the first ballot. And so that's um, whatever vote comes out of North Dakota will direct those delegates and how they vote on the first ballot. And if there is not a, f a successful nominee in a first ballot, then those 29 delegates are free to vote their conscience um, based upon what they think is best for uh, best for our country. How do you discern whether somebody coming to vote is a Republican or not? in a caucus? The preference is that this is a Republican presidential caucus, and so we would like to have people who vote to be members of the Republican Party. And the way that we will determine that is we will have a live membership lists on all of the venues. So if you if Bob Harms walks in, we can see he's either going to have a printed pass that demonstrates that he's a member of the party, or he can walk up and um, we can look at our electronic membership that will be live and say, oh yeah, Harms paid his membership dues yesterday, and he's good to go. We'll give him a ballot uh, and send him on his way. If he doesn't want to be a member of the party, but he feels strongly that he's a Republican and he wants to vote, there's an off-ramp for doing that too. So Bob Harms could walk in and say, I'm not giving the Republican Party any money, but I'm a Republican and I would I want to vote for whomever. There's a way for him to do that. He'll sign, we'll give him a ballot and he'll sign a, a pledge to affiliate the, with the party in the future. We'll take down his, his address and his phone number, and but he doesn't have to pay to play in North Dakota. Are there identification requirements? Yes, we follow the same uh, ID requirements that uh, the Secretary of State has. So it'll, the short version is you need a state or a tribal issued ID of some sort. If you don't have one of those and you live in a, a nursing home, well, we need uh, some kind of a certificate uh, showing that you're a resident of the uh, nursing home in Bismarck. Or, uh, But we follow the, uh, the same rules that the North Dakota Secretary of State's office follows. You mentioned earlier, Mr. Harms, that candidates may address the group. Has that been confirmed? Do you yep. know that they absolutely will at a certain time? Yes, we have three out of the four candidates have confirmed um, with us that uh, they will speak that evening. We have 15-minute time slots that begin at 5.30. That continues through 6.45, but I have confirmation of three out of the four I'm pressing the fourth candidate that um, we would like an answer. I'm kind of telling them we need an answer by Friday. <laughs> Can you tell us who has confirmed? No, I can't. I can't do that just yet. I think it's uh, be unfair. But, um, you know, three of the candidates have said we'll, uh, we're going to speak to the uh, North Dakota Republicans that are at, uh, at the caucus venues that evening. All right. Let's rewind here and tell people who are interested in voting for the Republican nominee for president exactly what they should do where they can go, what times they should go, and where they should look for more information. Sure. So we have 12 sites around North Dakota, the uh, four major communities along Highway 2, Williston, Minot, Devil's Lake, Grand Forks. 
And we have the same four major communities along I-94, Dickinson, Bismarck, Jamestown, Fargo. And then we've had four other uh, venues that have come to the fold that at our invitation. Uh, that is Wapaton, Valley City, Carrington, and Cavalier. So those are the four sites. Voting is by written ballot, and it is from 5 until 8 p.m. Central Time. You will need an ID, and uh, you should be a member of the, the uh, North Dakota Republican Party. You can join the North Dakota Republican Party, print your pass uh, at the ndgop.org website. If you've already joined the party and you haven't printed anything, uh, we will have your memberships identified there at each venue. And... Um, We'll allow you to come in uh, and get, uh, get your ballot, uh, vote, talk with some of your friends. But uh, best way to uh, learn the uh, locations, times, candidates, ndgop.org. Um, you can learn everything you need to know about uh, how you participate in the North Dakota Republican Presidential Caucus on March 4th. How do you plan to disclose who the winners are, and is it a laborious process to count the hand ballots? No, we'll, uh, we're looking forward to that. Uh, what we'll do is uh, at 8 o'clock, um, voting will be suspended, and um, we'll, begin, we'll begin counting ballots at each site. Um, they are to have their ballots counted. There will be four people that uh, will oversee the, uh, the counting, and then the venue captain will sign off on the accuracy of each of those counts. They will email and call the results into headquarters in Bismarck. Um, we'll be there fielding those um, those tallies. After 8.30, we get all of the results. We'll issue a uh, nationwide press release announcing the the results of the uh, Republicans' uh, preference in North Dakota for who should be the Republican nominee for president. Robert Harms is a North Dakota Republican Party Caucus Committee Chair, and he joins us today from our studio in Bismarck. Mr. Harms, thank you very much for joining us on Mainstream. Enjoy. Thanks, Greg. Thanks for inviting us. Appreciate it. You're sure welcome. More Main Streets ahead. Stay with us. We'd like to thank the North Dakota Council on the Arts for supporting arts programming along with our members and other sources here on Prairie Public. Welcome back to Main Street on Prairie Public. I'm Craig Blumenshine, and in this Plains Folk essay, Tom Ezern challenges the view that the Great Plains are unsuitable for living by recounting the heroism of Minnie Freeman during the children's blizzard of 1888. A few years ago, a popular author came out with a popular book titled The Children's Blizzard. Credit where due, he effectively captures the catastrophe and trauma that overwhelmed the people of the Plains on the 12th of January, 1888. They called it The Children's Blizzard for the same reason that it seared a deep scar into historical memory, because of the many school children from North Dakota clear down to Oklahoma who were caught out in the storm, scores perishing along with their teachers. The unfortunate thing about the book is that the author assumes a patronizing tone in the conclusion, essentially saying that the Great Plains are not a fit place to live. People never should have come there and endangered their children. Well, I read the news. And I'm uncertain where this 
safe place for children or anyone is. The people of the Plains had a different response to the children's blizzard. They grieved, of course, and then they created a legend, the legend of Minnie Freeman, Nebraska's fearless maid. I believe I have pinpointed the origin of the legend of Minnie Freeman, the public school teacher who led her 13 pupils from her schoolhouse to safety in a farmhouse. Five days after the blizzard, with catastrophic reports still coming in over the wire, the Omaha Bee published a narrative provided by Mr. J. H. Ager of Ord, Nebraska, which was near Ms. Freeman's school in Myra Valley. Ager was a man of some standing, an official of the State Board of Transportation. The report was quite factual, although dressed up in a little purple prose by the reporter for the Bee. The setting was a one-room school, to and from which pupils were transported by horse-drawn bus. Thursday the 12th was a beautiful, clear, uncommonly warm day in the morning. Old-timers of the prairies would say, that's a day to take warning, but it was a new country. The blizzard struck. The storm blew the door off the schoolhouse and then the roof. There was no bus, and Ms. Miner decided she must lead the children afoot to a farmhouse a little over a half mile away. First, she found a coil of twine and connected the kids by threes, with tethers connecting the four trios, and one child, the youngest, left for her to carry in her arms. She shouted encouragement to her charges as she led them through the blinding storm, and they made it to a farmhouse that was the home of one of the children, and eventually all were welcomed into the arms of their parents. Miss Minnie Freeman is a young lady only 19 years of age, we read, and is teaching her first term of school in Myra Valley District. Now, that statement is a little misleading. In fact, I find from earlier newspaper reports, Ms. Freeman, the well-liked daughter of a businessman in the town of St. Paul, had taught previous terms in another district. By mid-February, newspapers were advertising sheet music for a ballad penned by a popular composer named William Vincent. Song of the Great Blizzard, 13 Were Saved, or Nebraska's Fearless Maid. Bravely into the storm she led the brave 13. God bless the fearless maid, Nebraska's heroine. People all over the country sang praises to Minnie Freeman. And people in Nebraska formed a blizzard club to share their commiserations. What became of Ms. Freeman? She got herself a college degree. Married a wealthy widower businessman from Fullerton in 1891, became president of the Nebraska Federation of Women's Clubs, was elected president of the State American Legion Auxiliary, and became the first woman member of the Republican National Committee. A fearless maid indeed. That's Tom Ezern, Distinguished Professor of History at North Dakota State University. North Dakota Native American Essential Understanding number three is about sharing and generosity. It states, Native people have rich traditions of sharing and generosity, which include gifting, shared meals, powwow gatherings, shared living spaces, and care for relatives, including the environment, natural resources, and waters. In this episode of Dakota Datebook, we'll listen to Kenneth Jerome Hill, enrolled member of the Spirit Lake Nation, talking about his name 
helping boy. That's one of the things that I was uh, really, that's why when my Indian name was given of helping boy, that my, uh, when, when I got old enough to, um, to uh, understand uh, the way that was, my dad and my mom would told me how generosity, your name is helping boy, that's what they give you that name for. You have to help whoever is in need, you know. They, no matter what, you know, if you, what, if you don't, you know, have it or, you know, you try to help them the best you can. And up to this day, I still live up to that. And I do a lot of hunting and stuff, and I hunt for others that can't hunt or, you know, people that need things, you know, if I have it, you know, I, I'll get, help them out. I help them out any way I can. And, and I can't say no because, you know, well, in the Dakota way, somebody asks you for anything, you're not supposed to say no anyway. So way of taking care of your elders and those that are in need. And I was brought up in this that era where, you know, we had to... Go, I always, always help people, you know. We lived in the log house days, and we didn't have no electricity, no running water. We used to always have to haul water and wood and help others that are less fortunate, you know, that can't get out and get wood, so we used to help them get... So it's, I don't know, it's something that, you know, was taught from uh, early stages, you know. I'm Scott Simpson. If you'd like to learn more about the North Dakota Native American Essential Understandings and to listen to more Indigenous elder interviews, visit www.teachingsofourelders.org. Dakota Date Book is produced in cooperation with the State Historical Society of North Dakota. Funding for this series is from Humanities ND and the North Dakota Department of Public Instruction. That's it for this Monday edition of Main Street. On today's All Things Considered, after eight years under a far-right party that has weakened its democracy, Poland has now a new government that is trying to rebuild that democracy. And on Hidden Brain with Shankar Vedantam, what if the political divide in our country isn't about right and left? What if it's between those who care intensely about politics and those who don't. And coming up tomorrow on Main Street, Dr. Shelby Witte has been named the new Dean of the College of Education and Human Development at the University of North Dakota. We hope to see you again on Main Street. <laughs>